Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is January 30th, 2017, and a Monday at that. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, Bill's Story. We are going to be reading on page two. And today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Renee C., The Twelve Traditions, Lisa H., and our text readers will be Lisa B., Leah S., Sarah W., and our newcomer greeter today is Mary B. And the share ID for Sunday, January 29, is 9523. 9523. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Renee C. if she could read for us the 12 steps. Good morning, Monica. This is Renee C. from uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and here are the 12 steps of recovery. One, We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out, Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Renee C. I will now ask Lisa H. to read the 12 traditions for us, please. Good morning. Um, This is Lisa H., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Tennessee, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. I pass. Thank you, Lisa H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in the literature that we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. So today, we are resuming our study of the big book. In the chapter, Bill's Story, we are on page two. We will be reading the first two paragraphs on page two. The first paragraph is for context only, and comments will be on the second paragraph. And I will ask Lisa B. to begin reading for us, please. Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes, you may. 
This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Good morning. I took a night law course and obtained employment as investigator for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I'd proved to the world I was important. My work took me about Wall Street, and little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would steal her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. By the time I had completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved $1,000. I went into certain securities, then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined that they would someday have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and managements, but my wife and I decided to go anyway. I had developed a theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. Well, in Bill's story, I was taught that I need to seek to identify, not to see where I'm different, but how I can identify in. And I identify so much here in the second paragraph the inviting, I don't know how to say that word, but maelstrom, maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. And you know what had me in its grip was um, looking great on the outside. If I could just look okay on the outside, I would be all right. If I just was the right weight, the right shape, and the right body tone, the right clothes, the right hair, I would be okay. But I was totally empty and dying inside. I looked to see in your eyes that I was all right. And um, the other thing that I wanted to share on is that word alloy. I looked up the word, and really I I wish I had looked up the word maelstrom or maelstrom, but I didn't, so maybe someone will and will share on that because that sounds like a really key word. But the word alloy is a combination of making two or more metals and giving it greater strength. So what food and my ego and that, Um, spiritual malady, the emptiness inside of me, all combined like the metals to make this very, very powerful, powerful uh, weapon that did cut me to grips. It brought me to my knees. Um, Mostly that spiritual emptiness and looking on the outside and trying to fill myself with the food and your approval. Um, Then the other thing that stands out for me is he rightly imagined himself being this great success. So having like this legend in my own mind, this fantasy in my own mind that I'm going to arrive, that everyone is going to see me and see that I am a worthwhile person, that I'm a successful person. And the people that were his heroes, I'm thinking of who the heroes were for me um, with my food addiction and my eating disorder. Well, probably the models on magazines. Um, people that just 
got what they wanted. The other thing I see in this paragraph is the emptiness of no no higher power. And that's how I lived. There was no higher power. It was all about me and I, I, I. And the other thing is he tried to have, he had his friends that tried to warn him or advise him not to go. He went anyways. So I never listened. Life gave me so many warnings about things and I would never listen. So with that, I passed. Thank you, Lisa B. And with that, we're going to open up here for anyone who would like to share on the second paragraph on page two. Suji. Who would like to share? Suji. Leanne. Kim J. Harlan G. Harlan. Judith R. Judith. Susanna K. Susanna K. Oh, you're all being so nice to me this morning here. Anybody else? Okay, this is what I've got. I know I, I didn't probably catch someone. Sue G, Leanne W, Kim G, Harlan G, Judith R, Soshana. I didn't say that right. I'm sorry. Okay. Show. Shana. Anybody else? Okay, let's go with that. Sue G, you're up. Then it'll be Leanne. Okay, thank you. Good morning. This is Sue G from Michigan Recovered. Um Maelstrom is uh, it's a whirlpool, a powerful whirlpool or activity that resembles one. Um, you know, he was so caught up in Wall Street that it was like he was caught in a whirlpool. Uh, it had him in his grips, and, and I can think of back um, before Vision, you know, I was caught up in, uh, in sponsoring, sponsoring the way my sponsor sponsored me, which practically eliminated steps 10 to 12 except to try to reach out and uh, sponsor other people. But uh, like the first person who shared, you know, I, I didn't listen. I mean, he was told, you know, I mean, he wanted to go out and and check out a bunch of companies and and he felt that, you know, people only lost money in stocks because of ignorance of markets. And he was soon to discover that there were many more reasons. Uh, I have a feeling that uh, not having control of your life and, and, and uh, eating and uh, would be reasons why he failed. Um, well, also because of Wall Street crashing and things like that. But I, you know, I went along my merry little way and thought I was doing the right thing because it was what I was taught. It was because of what I was interested in. I was fed by, by uh, it, it just, um, it was like having food sponsoring. Uh, it was like control and uh, I had a higher power, but I wasn't trusting him to, to, I didn't go to him to meet my needs except in other areas, but not with food. I mean, I wanted my cake and eat it too. And um, so this is where, I, you know, I can really relate to him. Um, and just uh, he went his merry little way and did, did what he wanted, and it succeeded. Uh, he, he did succeed at it, but um, I didn't. I, I failed it. Uh, 
at my program, but didn't even know I was failing. Uh, with that, I want to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sue G. Leanne W., you're up, and then it'll be Kim G. Yes, hi, this is Leanne W. from Massachusetts. Can you hear me? Sure can. Okay, thank you. Um, so when I read through this, what stuck out at me was um, Bill's constant drive um, to the chase, I guess. He's just he's constantly chasing something. And, and when I identify to this, I think about how I've constantly tried to chase the thinness, the perfect body, the, the feeling of acceptance that if only I was thin enough, if only I could do this, if only then people would accept me, then I would feel good about who I am, then I could stand up and be proud and, and prove to the world that I am okay. This isn't particularly true. Uh, when I would go to OA meetings in the past and I would have abstinence as defined by my my white knuckling through my food plan and don't eat no matter what, no matter what, don't eat, but have no steps involved to ensure my recovery. And, in, and then I would ultimately... Um, go out and break my abstinence because I didn't I didn't have the steps I didn't have the tools and so then I would go out and, and of course I put all the weight back on and then some and then I I couldn't go back to the meetings because if I went back to the meetings then I would prove that I'm less it would show that I'm less than and I'm not good enough and and people would reject me and all of these feelings and and even you know exclude myself from family events and things where people might see and possibly judge me. And I was constantly filled with this anxiety and fear and, again, being driven to that, you know, if only I could, if I could be thin, if only I could feel good enough. And so, you know, and, and when I've read through this and, and Bill had his theories, I had so many theories because then ultimately I would find yet again another diet or another pill or something that would cause me to lose the weight for such a short period of time and and that's when I would be filled with theories if, you know, if they only knew that this works. But, you know, I was just fooling myself and I was just, uh, you know, constantly just chasing something that, that wasn't attainable. And what I've learned through this program is that the steps is, you know, and the higher power and, and being closer, you know, and having my life um, governed by God and not governed by self is um, what assures me the peace and serenity that I'm guaranteed through this program a day at a time so long as I continue to work the program as it's laid out in the in the steps. And so with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne W. Kim G., you're up, and then it'll be Harlan. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy or combination of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Now this, we're going to see the progression of the illness in Bill here. And I'm going to try to get out of the idea of Bill, but look at what is my progression. We're going to see what drives Bill is money and success. And we're going to see him go on this roller coaster up and down. You know, he's going to arrive and then he's going to crash and he's going to get some some resolve back and he's going to crash. So I have to ask myself, what drives me? I mean, for me personally, it was popularity. And I can see that popularity within my social circle, popularity within, you know, dating, popularity within my schools. It drove me. 
So what drives you? Maybe it's being the best mother. Maybe it's being the best wife. Maybe it's living in the right neighborhood, having the right education, having the, the right job title. And that is driving us. And for a time, the, the, the food's working. The alcohol is working for him. He's in, the, he's in the golf clubs. He's in the jazz clubs. And then it starts to turn to necessity. Gosh, I remember that. I remember times that the food was celebratory and I could manage things. I remember being on the Jersey Shore as a kid and, and having ice cream and all the different things on the boardwalk. But then I remember it starting to switch in high school and college. You know, I remember the days when I could limit my binging to the weekends and then it would start to bleed into the weekdays. And then I could contain it till at night. And then it would start to bleed in during the day. It became a necessity. You know, that, I was, that roller coaster was coming in. But as long as the food was working, I wasn't coming into the room of Overeaters Anonymous. But I could get relief in the food. You know, I, I'm finding right now that the phone calls I'm getting is absolutely increasing. You know, a lot of people returning January 1st. But, hey, all they need is a food plan, some meetings, and some phone calls. Because we're taught in this book, you know, we have an allergy. We have an abnormal reaction to food. But the bigger aspect is, you know what, I have an abnormal reaction to abstinence. You know, I can't get comfortable abstinence. So at day one, when I'm using the tools and I'm using the fellowship, I, I can kind of get going. But we're coming up to 30 days after the, uh, after the, um, the new year, and I can feel the anxiety building in people. I can feel the desperation. And what I want to simply say to you guys, those guys who have been abstinent since that time and haven't picked up yet, welcome to your disease. Welcome to untreated compulsive overeating. Because we're going to see in this story and try to plug your own story in, is this combination of food and whatever it is that drives you, is it still working? Or is it at this point turning on you and cutting you to ribbons? And if it is, grab a recovered person, grab their hand, and start working the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Harlan G., it's your turn, followed by Judith R. Thank you, Monica. Harlan G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Can I be heard? Harlan, Actually, I can't hear you if you're oh, talking. Oh, oh, oh. Star one. Monica, can I be heard? Okay, we will go on to Judith and then see if Harlan comes back. Judith R., are you there? Monica, I can hear you. Monica, 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 I can hear Harlan. Monica? I can hear Harlan, too. Yep, we all can. I be? Harlan, Harlan, you yeah. go ahead and okay. I'll see if I can okay. take care of Monica. All Thanks, right. everyone. Thank you so much. I just wanted to thank Monica for your service and everybody on Team Monday for your service. Harlan G., compulsive, a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. This paragraph has information in it that is really important, but it's, it's not always as apparent as it can be when we study it. The first thing that we look at here is that the stock market in the early 20s was enjoying the greatest rush of success in our nation's history, the post-World War I uh, roaring 20s, never before or since has the nation of America experienced such an unbelievable rush of success. He looks at things, and you could literally take a dart and throw it at the stock market board, hit a stock, and invest in it at about a 10% margin and make money. 
Bill is a New York City stock speculator, and he has a lot of knowledge of the fact that what comes up must come down. It says here something. It says, it says, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. What is he talking about? Drinking. His alcoholism. His speculation is one thing, but his drinking is really starting to cut him down. They save $1,000. That could be lost. $1,000 in the early 20s. You could buy a brand new house in Chicago for about $1,600, $1,800. Not a schlock house, a nice house. You could buy two brand new cars for $1,000. A brand new Ford Model A at that time was about $495. But let's take a look at what's happening here. He's going to the people on Wall Street and saying, I want to go get some more information on these companies. They say, we don't need that. He goes anyway. He's cunning, baffling, and powerful too. A little later on, we're going to find out that they really appreciated this information. But why did Lois agree to go? The reason is she hoped that this would stop him from drinking. She was looking for a geographic. She was looking to take him to all these companies and affect a geographic cure within Bill and, of course, we're going to find out, and we all know that this did not work. No matter what we did, no matter what I did, change this, change that, do this, do that, it never made one bit of difference. I am a compulsive overeater. I am different from other people bodily and mentally, and only a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps is going to affect a recovery within me. And we're going to find out how he finds that out as we unfold the next few pages over the next few weeks. But the bottom line is nothing that is of this earth could affect a recovery within Bill or me. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan G. Judith R., it's your turn, and then it'll be Shoshana K. Hi, Monica and visionaries. This is Judith R. in Vermont Recovered. Um, <clears throat> out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. I don't know about you, but I thought a boomerang was a fun toy that came back to you and you could catch it. <clears throat> and then I read um, in the book Bill W. about the time that Bill created his own boomerang, he actually cut a three-foot plank out of his headboard of his bed, and he and his grandfather stopped by a tombstone at the edge of a churchyard. Bill took his stance, legs spread, the weapon in his hand. Then after a moment in which neither of them spoke, the boy stretched out his arms, spun his body around, and the boomerang flew out, curving further and further over the graves. But this time it kept on. Instead of spending itself, it seemed to be even taking on momentum as it kept going in a perfect circle until, there was no question about it, it was definitely returning, coming back, right back toward them. With a long, low whistling sound of a giant beetle shooting through the air, it was circling back nearer and nearer and straight toward them. Suddenly Bill let out a yell and they threw themselves forward, flat on the ground, as the boomerang dipped and cracked against a headstone close behind them. 
For a minute, they lay still on the frozen earth, panting, hardly able to take in the magnitude of what they had witnessed. If they had not ducked, if they had remained standing, they might well have been decapitated. Then, very slowly, they both sat up, turned and looked at one another. Still, neither of them smiled. I did it, Bill whispered. I did it. Then, with a wild leap, he was on his feet, and the banshee cry he let loose could have been heard in Manchester. I did it. So when Bill talks about a boomerang cutting him to ribbons, he knows what he's talking about. It's a book called Bill W. by Robert Thompson, page 33. Thanks. Thank you, Judith R. Shoshana Kay, it's your turn. Hi, it's Shoshana Kay. Can you hear me, Monica? Yes, I can. Thank you so much for your service and everybody for their service. This is Shoshana Kay, so gratefully recovered in Maryland, and I wanted to talk about the boomerang part also. Um, so identifying in with Bill's story and so appreciative of the history and the richness that everybody contributes to this meeting. It so helps recovery, and I'm just so grateful. I wanted to reflect back to when I was a little girl, and it was Halloween time, and I had these big plastic, we had these big plastic pumpkins that we used to go around collecting all the candy for trick-or-treating, and I was just so attached to that pumpkin and would not let anybody have the candy in there. My sister had her own stash, but I would try and trade her for the better candy bars for my not-so-good candy bars because I wanted it all. And then I, I, um, my mother sent us to gymnastics, gymnastics lessons, so I was always in the gym, always working out as a kid, and this carried on through high school and into my young adulthood, and then I really went to the gym. So my compulsive overeating, which was always there, was never showing up physically yet, but definitely in my personality. And I remember I lived in Brooklyn, and I was a tenured teacher, and I was so driven by there was this movie, I don't know if people remember, called Fame, and the the lyrics say, I want to live forever. And I was just so enamored by this movie and wanted to be like these models and so badly wanted to move from Brooklyn, really from first Long Island, then to Brooklyn, then to New York City. And I did. And I gave up this tenured position to start again as a sub and start everything over again to be in the big city. And one of the things that I loved was all the restaurants that was everywhere. You could eat Chinese food in Chinatown in the basement. You could eat Indian food on a skyscraper. You could eat every type of food ever existing to your left, to your right, and also to the left and to my right was a gym. And so none of this caught up to me until I got married and had kids. And then the weight piled on to the point where I was limping around and people thank you, God, who were in OA, told me about OA. I only knew about A. I didn't know all the other A's that existed. And I was in step four in my earlier years of OA for a very long time. And for me, that didn't work because I just wound up picking up again. Like for a year, I remember doing step four of every nook and cranny of everything since I was a little kid. And I have a very good memory. So when I got on to Vision for You, and I got a vision sponsor, I started working the steps very much like with a pace, 
pacing it. And, and what I didn't get to in step four, I get to now in step, in step 10. And living in step 10, 11, and 12 is Time. changing my life. And I'll pass with that. And I want to just say thank you, thank you for everybody on this line. Thank you. And I pass. Thank you, Shoshana Kay, and I'd like to remind everyone there's there's we can hear a noise in the background. Somebody's unmuted. Please check your phones. Okay, I'm going to open up the floor. Who else would like to share on paragraph two on page two? Nessa R. Nessa. Nadia B. Nadia. Say your name again. I didn't catch it. Bria Lafette. Bria. Okay. Larry. Larry. Anybody else? Dana W. Dana. W. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This is what I've got. Nessa R., Nadia B., Brea L., Larry K., and Dana W. You're up, Nessa. Thank you, Monica. This is Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. Good morning, Vision, for you. So what Bill is pursuing here um, in his uh, very strong drive for success is self-esteem. You know, he suffered from depression. He suffered from anxiety. But most of all, he suffered from very low self-esteem. And he thought, he thought that wealth and success... Um, but in the, the external validation that comes with it would would, would remedy his low self esteem and like a, like a good addict, I myself also suffered from low self esteem and I think most of us on the line probably do. I thought if I was thin, if I could wear beautiful clothes, then that would fix my self esteem if I had money, then that would fix my self esteem and you know there were periods in my life where I was thin. And I had money, and guess what? I still had low self-esteem. I still kept looking for that external validation that will that would that would uh, lift my ego. And you know what I have learned um, in recovery, and you know by the grace of God and through the twelve steps I have um, over five years now, is that self-centered pursuits uh, do not bring self-esteem. You know, what brings up the steam is doing esteemable things. And what's an esteemable thing? It's not looking for what I want and trying to get people to do what I want them to do and trying to impose my values and my way of life on everybody. What, what gives me self-esteem now, what I consider self-esteemable acts, is helping others, helping others. You know, serving God implies that I am helping others. I wasn't... Um, created, I wasn't put on this earth, you know, to pursue my little plans and designs. I was put here in this earth to be of service. And now, and I often share this, it's such a paradox, I wish I had known that a long time ago, um, but when I was pursuing what I thought was my own happiness, I wasn't happy. When I got what I wanted, I wasn't happy either. Now that I'm more focused on other people. Now I am truly content. I truly experience joy. And more importantly, I don't even worry about my self-esteem because I know that I'm doing the right thing. I know that I'm doing um, God's will. And this is what Bill also found in his own recovery, you know, from a person who only wanted power and money 
you know, he went on to create this very, very vast organization with his incredibly successful book, which he practically gave away. I mean, that is a transformation. That is a transformation that is only possible if we become entirely abstinent and we work the steps according to the big book, and then we can have um, a joyful, contented life without having to worry about low self-esteem. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Nadia B., it's your turn, followed by Bria L. Thank you so much, Monica. Would you please give me a warning when I'm um, about to be done on time? Um, I can so relate to Bill chasing. And, um, you know, I I can definitely relate to, um, you know, chase in my own life. I've chased, um, just like your previous chairs, um, were so spot on popularity, you know, um, pat on the back. I wanted so bad, and you know, later on, I've I've learned that it stems somewhere from my childhood. But you know, all my life, I chased something, whether it was popularity, rich husband. You know, if only I stopped living with my parents. If only I had a house big enough, a better car, a better body. Um, you know, better job title, career growth, Um, you know, only then um, I wanted people to see that I'm succeeding. Um, And I pushed, I pushed that idea, I I milked that idea that, you know, only when I'm successful and when I get what I want, at that point, I'll be happy. I'll, you know, magically become happy, my depression will vanish, and I ran through life, you know, I pushed through life um, by working, you know, 60-hour weeks, and, um, you know, pushing everything to the limits until, um, you know, and there was no stopping to me in my mind. My idea was, you know, nothing can stop me. I will get there no matter what, stepping on, um, you know, sometimes on, on others' toes and, you know, disregarding my mother's crying or, you know, other people's needs. And uh, until my disease kicked in a little harder, until my disease was... Um, you know, slowed me down. And, um, you know, I failed to hear so many warnings in my life that this disease became a blessing to me. And, um, you know, I'm grateful today that something slowed me down because this speed that I was going with today definitely, um, you know, was a deadly speed in life. Um, And, uh, reality, thank God, kicks in, and um, thank God for these 12 steps that allowed me to see better um, how, you know, you cannot go on the highway uh, faster than, um, than the speed limit, because it's dangerous, and that's what this disease showed me, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nadia B. Bria L., it's your turn, then it'll be Larry K. Uh, hi, 
Bria Lissett from Edmonton, Alberta, suffering from compulsive overeating and anorexia. Um, out of this alloy of drink and speculation, um, what I've really noticed here in this paragraph, um, combined with my compulsive overeating and something, whatever drives me that makes me feel that I'm going to be okay, which is acceptance and attention and love from other people. And um, from that, I think if I, if I look okay, if I look pretty, if I act like I got everything together, that I'm perfect, um, that's what's going to give me acceptance and attention and love from others. And that combined with my compulsive overeating is just a recipe for disaster. In the past couple months, you know, I've changed my behaviors with compulsive overeating, but I didn't change. Well, I mean, my higher power did, but I was white knuckling it. I mean, my, I was still holding so dear to that belief and that desire for acceptance and love of other people through trying to be perfect and change myself and put on the act, you know, that caused me to go right back into relapse. And I have to realize that, you know, I need to, I need to ask my higher power to change my character defects as well because perfectionism and judgmentalism and grandiosity and things like that, that's going to drive me back into my disease. And I'm at a place right now where I need to pray and focus on having those character defects removed every day. And, um, you know, because if, if I keep thinking that way, I'm surely, I'm surely going to keep living in my disease. So um, that's what uh, that really speaks to me as well. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Bria L. Larry Kay, it's your turn, and then it'll be Dana W. Monica, good morning. Thanks for your service, Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. The um, so we read, you know, here about Bill, and and uh, everyone's talked about it. You know, he he commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. You know, and that that boomerang, that weapon. Um, obviously it was not just alcohol. It was, see, he, if you read the history of Bill Wilson, one of the things he talks about is his desire. He had a lifetime drive to become what he called a number one man. <laughs> we don't hear that language so much anymore, but back then, you know, to be a number one man, it goes back to, I believe, an uncle and so forth. He taught, he just, he, he had a desire to be a number one guy, to, to achieve, to be at the top of the game the top of the food chain and whatever he was seeking to accomplish. And it was that, um, I guess, you know, perfectionism and just desire probably coming from a place, you know, Bill suffered, as we know, from depression, you know, it's probably coming from a place of, of feeling less than, but, but the bottom line is, is that we can, you know, we can, we can psychoanalyze and look at Bill Wilson and we can look at his words and so forth. The reality is, is when I try to identify in many of us, certainly me, I, I sought, I had a great desire to be a number one man, you know. Um, now, over time, I realized that I have limitations, like all human beings have limitations. 
and there are certainly things outside of my control. But, you know, but it was that ego, it was that drive to be uh, validated, validated by others and validated by society. Um, and when, you know, when you begin to work these steps and you begin to, this process evolves, you see that, you know, we are just one of many. And there's no longer a desire. I think one of the changes these, these steps have had on me, and perhaps Bill went through the same experience, is that there's no longer a desire to be a number one man. And when we let that go and we realize that, you know, that, well, for me, my, my goal in life my, is to be of maximum service to my higher power and to those about me. And when I ask for that every day with an open heart, to the higher power of my own understanding, you know, it's amazing how we find that that's, that, that that's available to us. I can be of maximum service to God and to others. And when I, when I lived that way, obviously the food, the obsession was lifted for me by the grace of God and I've changed. And this is, and Bill changed and Bill came to his change in his way. And I came to my change in my way, but it did require work, specific work um, to, set aside these, these desires and, and so forth. So very grateful for this reading. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Dana W., it's your turn. Good morning. Thank you, Monica, for your service. This is Dana W. from Alabama, um, a compulsive overeater. I just wanted to say that uh, what, what stuck out to me was, you know, um, how we can get in our head about reasoning about money. You know, he was thinking, well, he saw others in Wall Street make money, so, you know, why couldn't he? And I had chased after that, too, for years, you know, making money, um, reasoning in my head, you know, I would have more money for my addiction. I would have more money uh, to present to the world just how wonderful I am, you know. Um, And I know we're running out of time, but that's what stuck out to me as, when I get in my head and I'm reasoning out what is going to work for my life, that is nothing but my addiction, you know, luring me into other things that don't really satisfy. Um, thank God for the 12-step program of OA and a vision for you that helps me arrest this twist and this type of rationale that gets my mind back, you know, centered and focused on um, the God of my understanding uh, the tools of recovery, um, outreach, and all the things that um, help me stay abstinent and out of my head and, and in helping with other people. Um, and thank you. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Dana W. And we're going to stay on this paragraph. There's others here that would like to comment on paragraph two on page two. Melissa C. Melissa? Hello, Monica. Yeah, Hi. Raquel. Hi. Good morning. Good That's morning. <laughs> Thank you for your kind service. You have a little time for me. You're on the list. You're on. You're on sure. the list, Raquel. Okay. Tony W. Did I hear a Kelly? Yes, Tony. Kelly. Uh, Kelly S. Uh, Kelly S. Okay. Now I hear a Tony. Renee. Tony C. W. Renee. Okay, I'm going to stop here because um, I've got like five or six names and we don't have that long. So what, this is what I've got. Melissa C., Raquel, Kelly S., Tony, I didn't get your last name, and Renee. All right, Melissa C., you're up. 
Hi. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, you know, I guess what jumps out at me this morning is, um, is it so bad to have ambition? You know, like... We've lost you, Melissa. Star one to unmute. Hi, it's Melissa C. Sorry, I was talking away. Um, recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Can you hear me now? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, great. Um, you know, what, what jumped out at me was um, here's, you know, Bill with all this incredible ambition. and um, And is it? is it such a negative thing to be ambitious? You know, like that's what was kind of going through my head. Um, Cause I've had lots of ambitions um, and no ambition. I don't think is necessarily bad in and of itself, but what's your motivation here? You know? And so when, when I think about my ambitions and the things that I want to achieve, um, what's, what's the purpose? What is it for? Who is it for? Who is it serving? And, um, you know, and so even in um, my field that I work in, in education, um, you know, it is it is a giving of service. But I know when I do things um, with my mind's eye on getting praises and getting strokes and getting attention, I'm in a really dangerous place. I'm, like, creating the weapon that's going to destroy me. You know, it's it's building my ego rather than looking um, – for the greater good. And so, you know, when, when we're reading this part of Bill's story, nowhere in here do we hear anything about helping anybody else. You know, it's not like he's out there trying to seek a fortune so he could make his community better, so that he could make his home happier. You know, it's so that he could fill this empty hole inside. And, boy, I could relate to that. You know, the problem is that, like the food, external praises, it's never enough. It never, no matter how much praise I've ever been given, it always leaves me hungering for more. And and that's the same thing with the potato chips. You know, it's the same thing with the cookies. Um, it does not scratch the itch. It actually just makes me want it more and more and more. And so, um, you know, that's what jumps out at me here. And, um, you know, and so that can only be filled from service to others and not for the accolades that we get, but actually for, um, you know, actually doing good. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Raquel, it's your turn, and then it'll be Kelly S. Hello. Hi, Monica. Can you hear me? Sure can. Go ahead. Uh, oh, thank you so much. Wow. I, I, how do they say it in NA? I, I, I love you all and I need you more now than, than ever. And this paragraph and all that it contains in Bill's story, because I'm going through a time now where I am I'm kind of, in order to help my brother, uh, pitting myself against the will of the whole the whole world and maybe maybe God doesn't want me to do this and I'm asking myself and thank you thank you Vision for You and thank you Bill W and thank you all of AA and this incredible thing that I can think while at it 
that it is really even this effort for somebody else can take me to the cleaners, uh, as Bill says. So I looked up in this alloy of uh, of mine, and I think of of all composite meters is made of. It's made out of this incredible mix of inferiority and grandiosity. That's lethal. And actually, they talk about it in the 12 and 12, uh, in step 12. And I, I will read a little bit because that, that talks to to me very much. And I think people may, I, other people, I hope, will identify. And page 122 in the 12 and 12 of AA says, practically every boy in the United States dreams of becoming our president. He wants to be his country's number one. We're talking about number one. And he gets, as he gets older and sees the impossibility of this, he can smile good-naturedly at his childhood dreams. In the later life, he finds that real happiness is not to be found in just trying to be number one man or even a first-rater in the heartbreaking struggle for money, romance, or self-importance. He learns that he can content, he can be content as long as he plays well whatever cards life deals him. He's still ambitious, we talk about ambition, but not absurdly so, not absurdly so, because he can now see and accept actual reality. He is willing to stay right size, and God Almighty, I find here in, hand, my, in my handwriting, probably from the 70s, will I ever get there? I don't know. The way that I'm dealing with life right now says that I have a, a long ways to go, but reading this helps. And then it says that they ask doctors what is the common denominator with all the compulsive um, people, all the, the alcoholics, and they came up with a conclusion that that shocked the AA members of the time. These distinguished men and had the nerve to say that most of the alcoholics under Time. investigation, can I, I wrap up, were still childish, emotionally sensitive, and grandiose. So these are the things that I'm hit with, with inferiority complex, all wrapped up with grandiosity, and and I, I have to work to become right size. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. You're welcome. Okay. We've got one minute. Kelly S., you got one minute. Kelly S., would you like to take a minute? Okay. Um, with that, we're going to close the meeting. Can you hear me? Thank Monica, you. Thank you. Can you hear me? Well, it's out oh. of time now. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. I wasn't right. doing very well with the timing here. No Thank worries. you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Sarah W., would you read for us, please, from A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. I certainly will. Thank you very much, Monica, for your service today. Sarah W., grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. 
ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah.